So this is the third in the series, High Maintenance Christian. Are you a high maintenance Christian? You know, based on one sense that we are all high maintenance because God made us that way. We're born as empty vessels and we're made up of whatever we receive. That's why Jesus said, be careful on what you hear. Be careful on what you take in. And he said, we know that he is the, um, the true vine and we are the branch. So whatever we're connected to, you know, uh, we become. And that's why in that one sense that we are high maintenance. As a, far from the Lord, we can do nothing of any value, of any purpose. Uh, and so that's why we, we, you know, we cannot live on bread alone by every word from the mouth of God. So in that way, we're high maintenance. But the high maintenance that I'm talking about is like maybe you have a friend or a family member just to keep them happy is high maintenance. They're always going from crisis to crisis, you know, and, and that's the kind of high maintenance that wears us out. And that's the kind of high maintenance we don't want to be with God. We're not going to wear him out. He's, he's long suffering more than we can even imagine. He's gone. He's suffered hundreds and hundreds of years. So we're not going you know, to. So he knows how to, how to suffer. And, but we want to be low maintenance. And uh, further down this teaching, you know, we got people of low maintenance like Paul and, and, and so forth. But we're going to talk about high maintenance, what makes us high maintenance, which is pretty much the war over delight and desire, what we delight in and what we desire. So let's go to the, the scripture here, our main, one of our main scriptures here, uh, scripture that's quoted very often. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give the desires of your heart. You know, we talked about uh, that delight is great to enjoy and, uh, and they give you desires. There's only one other place in the Old Testament where that desire, that word for desire is, and it's called petition. And this is pretty much the same thing that Jesus said, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask what you will and it'll be done. So it's the same, saying the same thing. If you abide in Christ, your desires of your heart will be met. And we also been going through, find out where desire came into being. You know, uh, wrong desire. Genesis 3, 6 through 7, talking about Adam and Eve. It's a three-strong cord, a three-strong cord, you get a rope. You know, a rope can be good or it can be bad for you. It could either hang you or it could get you out of a ditch. And so we find out that uh, Satan was uh, building up desire in Eve's flesh when she saw uh, uh, um, something that wasn't on the menu. Remember, God says, I'll give you all the trees in the garden, just not that one. So she decides she wants that one to eat, not on the menu, good for food. You know, a delight to her eyes. So right there we see the word delight coming up, you know, and... Uh, and desirable to make one wise. So delight and desire is right there in that scripture. We talked about these and we'll continue to talk about. <clears throat> desire, is, desire always brings temptation and war. It always brings temptation and war. Found in Galatians 5, 16 through 17, it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh, flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For those that are in opposition to one another, so that you may not... Do the things that you please. When we became born again, we got a new spirit. We did not get a new soul, which is mind, emotions, you know, your thought, your emotions, and your will. And we didn't get a new body either. So that this sin-ridden world is, is still in, you know, taking hold of our body and taking hold of our soul. We don't learn how to renew it. So our flesh and our spirit began warring with one another. 
I kind of think, you know, see it as, as a marriage, a husband and a, and a, and a wife. And, you know, and, and the wife doesn't want to do what the husband wants to do. And the husband doesn't want to do what the wife wants to do. So they can really war and they get divorced and a new husband comes in and the wife doesn't want that one either. And so our body, our flesh is at war. Some things that we used to like that used to bring us great, you know, pleasure or desire, it wars against what God has for us. And so there's a war going on in us. We can often see the war going on out in the world. We can see the war going on in the news media and in our country. But we also need to see the war going on right here in our own self so that we don't get tripped up. You know, Paul was talking about, you know, going out and, and giving his life for Christ and ministering the word. And he says he's real careful to buffet, you know, his body when he came back, lest he be a castaway. You know, it's, it's real easy to get so involved in somebody else's war and realize and not realize that you've got your own war going on. And you better you know, make sure that flesh is put down. Because the flesh sets a desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another. So that you may not do the things that you please. And so that's the hard thing. What do you mean I can't do the things that are pleased? We're American Christians. <laughs> I thought everything was geared to make sure that we can seek after happiness and do things that we please. But if you're going to be a follower of Christ, there's a lot of things that don't please him. And they're not really in the end pleasurable because they always have consequences. The wages of sin is always death. There's low wages and there's high wages. The highest wage of of sin is eternal death and hell. But there are low wages if you go out and commit sin, at least guilt or shame and condemnation is going to come in. You're going to lose something. And so we don't want to take hold of those things. God has given us a lot of things. God has given us desire. And that desire needs to be put in the right place for the right timing and the right situation. So what I found out in the body of Christ that many people love God, but maybe they love something or something more. They do love God. In fact, um, I've heard this is public information about, uh, I think it was uh, Jim Baker, you know, from PTA, was that was? PTL, from the the 80s. And I guess he went to prison and uh, a minister went to talk to him and said, when did you quit, you know, loving God? And he says, I never quit loving God. I just quit loving his word. I quit (laughs) loving obedience. But he always loved God. But he loved his own life more than loving God at that time. And we can do that too, easily, especially in this nation of ours. Because like this first message I talked about, you know, Solomon said he he was the richest man that ever was. But remember, you know, I was saying that we live a whole lot better life than he did. He had access to all these different foods from around the world, well, he didn't have access in 30 minutes <laughs> like we do. He didn't have air conditioner for his castles. He didn't have air conditioner for his chariot. And if, and if we were to go back, we'd want to come back here real quick. Even if all that gold and silver go, no, I want the conveniences. We live such a higher quality life than he ever did. And so it's real easy for us to love things more than loving God. So I'm going to show you the three-strong cord of temptation of desires. The lust of the flesh, 
going back to what happened to Adam and Eve, you know, the lust of the flesh, this is good for me. The lust of the flesh is, we decide what is good for us. God already told Eve what is good for her. But no, no, God, I want to decide. <laughs> My flesh wants to decide what is good for me. Then you got the next cord of that rope, the lust of the eyes. She said, you know, it says that Eve delighted in what she saw. Well, didn't she? She also delighted in the Lord. She walked with him in the cool of the evening with Adam. But she was looking for something more. You know, joy in, 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 in Scripture talks about a calm delight. But we live in a society that doesn't want a calm delight. We, want to live in a, we live in a society that wants extremism, emotionalism going on. That's what sells. We want to have the highest highs. You know, so we want to be very emotional. But so she's looking for the lust of the eyes is this will make me happy. And it's real easy to find yourself that you're happy until you see somebody else is happier. Then you begin looking around and going, looking for what can make you happy when you were already happy. And the third part of that rope is the pride of life. This will make me a person of importance. Remember, it says, hey, this, this is going to be this is going to bring me wisdom. And I can only speak more from a man's point of view since I am a man and not a woman. But it's real easy for men to get their identity or their purpose out of the work they do. It's all the way back in the curse. God, you know, didn't curse Adam, but he says, now you got to work by the sweat of your brow. And the very first thing a man does when he meets another man is, you know, pretty much, what do you do for a living? Because that's so easily our identity. It's so easily our purpose. And if we're not too high up on the hierarchical system, we can really look down on ourselves, look down on other people because we're not special, we're not person of importance. It's real easy for a man to want to be a person of importance. And the woman can be the same thing. Man usually wants an importance of a group of people. Women usually want the importance of a man, or at least a, a single person. And that's what happened to, to, to Eve because God looked at the woman and says, now you're going to be chasing after this man your whole life. And one of the first things a woman does, she doesn't ask questions. The first thing she does is she looks at to see if there's a ring on, on her finger, on the other woman's finger, to see if she is married, and then looks at the hips to see if she has a family. And, and too often the identity of a woman is found in her relationships. And if she's not connected to the right person, then she doesn't feel like she's a person of importance. And so that strong, that rope, what's good for me, this will make me happy, and I need to be a person of importance. And when Satan has convinced us it is good for us, it'll be fun, and it'll increase our value, Satan will hang us from the tree of knowledge, good and evil. Because that's his intention. So the three-strong cord of war. Because we don't, we're not just fighting a war inside, we're fighting on three different and three different uh, playgrounds. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what is the will of God, is that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So do not be conformed, you know, like taking a dole, ball, whatever, and making something out of it, but be transformed, which our, our society is learning a lot about being trans right now, just transformed into something that's not godly. But transformed, so let's find out how this world is. The one, the first cord of this rope that Satan wants to hang us with is, is the world. The world is an enemy. 
Yes, God you know, so loved the world, but he says the world is an enemy to him. So government conformity, the governments are always trying to conform the people to whatever their image they desire to be. So the government's always going to say, it is good for you. <laughs> Do this because it's good for our culture. And I can get into a lot of politics right now, but I won't. <laughs> you will like it. There's some recent videos on, on this, this world um, forum about you know this group that wants to that is part of the one world government. They're telling me by 2030 they want to take away all ownership of things away from people and they say and they, and the end it says you will like it. You'll own nothing and you will like it. That is their words. You will own nothing and you will like it. So government conformity. You'll be part of the educated. How many times you tell that? Only you know, many times Christians are called, you know, said you're uneducated. So if you really, if you were not dumb, if you were smart and educated, you would have done this or do this or do that. But that's from the tree of knowledge of good and evil anyway. There's nothing wrong about an education. God is for an education. God doesn't want us to be, you know, to be dumb or ignorant. He used that a lot. And Proverbs is full of us seeking wisdom. But trying to seek wisdom for ourselves, we don't know what wisdom is. We don't know up from down, left from right. When we eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So when the government comes out and says it's good for you, you'll like it and you'll be part of the educated, the elite. You're, you're, you're special because, you know, you're obeying, you're bound down to these things. But that's not the only part of the world that we got to deal with in government. We also got to deal with culture conformity. Find your good or find your truth. This is what you hear in the media all the time. You know, your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth and they can be completely opposite. You will like diversity over norms. I mean, that's the cold word now. Diversity, diversity, diversity. Get rid of normal. And of course, that's what Satan, you know, that's what Eve was being tempted with. Oh, you got all the, you got all these trees you can eat from and all these plants, every seed bearing plant and every green herb, but you don't got this one. You need to diversify. <laughs> and then the third thing is you'll be part of the transhumanism society, which is where we're headed to, which is, which is part of the Tower of Babel. Remember, right after the, after the flood and population came up and God tells them to go, you know, spread out throughout the earth, be fruitful and multiply. They decided, you know, God might destroy us again. So let's go ahead and build a, a building so tall that he can't, that he can't even, you know, destroy us. And so, and that's what's going on right now is they know that uh, Jesus is coming back, at least the spirit, uh, you know, Satan does and and we're trying to rebuild the Tower of Babel. That's what this whole climate change thing is. Is is they know that if you read Revelation, there's going to be a lot of climate change going on in that aspect. But it's called the wrath of God, and they're trying to transform us, and not not only uh, trying to tell us that we can be more than man. Not only transform us by changing our DNA from a, you know from genders, but also animals, you know, and making us you know different things like that, but also electronics, computers, you know, because ultimately they want to have eternal life and they want to take the soul out of the body and be able to put it into another body. 
And then a lot, a lot of people say, that's crazy. But if you read about the Tower of Babel, God says, let's go down because they're, they're coming together in unity less than, and there's nothing that they won't be able to do. And so here we are again. So don't think that's too crazy that somebody could do that. But Jesus is going to stop that. And one chord, the world, you know, if they're not dealing with government, and these ones I'm just kind of making mention of, family conformity, I'm just going to sum this up. That is, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. So if you try to do anything that's not traditional, sometimes you can be yanked back. I mean, who do you think you are? I mean, for centuries, families, in fact, a lot of people's last name was based on what that family did for a living. And so if God calls you to something else, you know, who think you are? You know, so it's easy to be pulled back into family conformity. And spiritual conformity, I call it spiritual conformity because people don't use the word religious anymore. I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. So, so living stones or bricks, this is also back to the Tower of Babel. God only makes living stones because he's the one that puts us in, 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 as living stones into his building. And they made bricks, conformity. Everybody's got to look the same, act the same. Be the same. But the second chord of this rope is the self. So we're dealing one thing with the world, then we're also dealing with the self. So I, I want to decide what is good for me. We're made in the image and likeness of God. And that cord has been broke. When we got saved, it's put back together. But our flesh just wants to decide what is good for me. I'm going to try it. I'll decide. Comparison, you know, wanting what you do not have. You know, Eve, look at it. Eve saw all those, you know, those trees and plants that God had given her to eat. And then Satan said, what about, what about this one over here? And says she delighted in it. It's real easy to delight in something you don't have. A couple of weeks ago, we had Family Sunday here. And I can't remember if it was Pastor Steve or, or somebody else asked the kids, did you... Ever keep your toys and nobody else could play with them? Yeah, yeah. Did you ever want a toy that somebody else had? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that doesn't change. We can be completely content and delight in the Lord until we see somebody else have something we don't have. And now we're ready to throw everything that we have over here to get that one thing as society today. Comparison. Wanting what you do not have. It's, grass is always greener on the other side. I like to think and this will make me someone of importance. That's what Eve wanted. She wanted to be more important than she was. And it's real easy, even as Christians, us to be want more important. But then there's a three core to this rope is Satan. So the world's tempting us, our flesh is tempting us, and Satan gets involved as well. So he gives us thoughts. God isn't giving you the best of what he has. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God has given you all these trees, everything that bears, you know, a seed and every green herb has given you, but he hasn't given you the best. Now, this is the best one. The one he told you to stay away from, that's the best. And he's keeping it from you. That's, that's what Satan does. God isn't giving you the best of what he has. That's what he does with thoughts. There's many people, they get married, they know that God has even told them who to get married, and they find out it's harder work than they thought. I've heard a story about this woman, you know, that uh, had a great ability to sing, just a great musician, and she married a pastor. 
because she married a pastor and, and, you know, and they, they didn't have the best life now. And, uh, and Satan started working on her for years. And people come up to her and says, why aren't you in Hollywood? I mean, you have such a tremendous talent. And so Satan was hitting her day in and day out for years and years and even decades, you know, saying, you know, saying, look at who you married. God has kept the best from you. You could be out there being a witness for God, making a whole lot more money, being out of the situation, helping a whole lot of people. But here you are. Well, she got to the point that one day Satan won that battle. She divorced, left her husband, went, went, and went away into the world. But she just went from guy to guy to guy to guy to guy. And she died pretty quickly because you just don't live for God in the light like that. And then, and then Satan wants to keep you alive. He's going to kill you as soon as he can. But that's what Satan is always going to do. You know, He's always going to get you to think that God has kept the best, the best from you. Emotions. He's always going to work on your emotions. God is keeping you from what, uh, what will really make you happy. Because our emotions are fickle. We can be happy one moment and sad the next moment. So if we're sad, Satan will point out, the reason you're sad is because God is keeping you from this over here. This would really make you happy. Or if you're really happy, now you think that's good, what about this over here? Always put those thoughts in there that the people over here are more happier than you because life is just hard for you, but for everybody else, it's easy. Because they're not restraining themselves with this religious stuff that binds you and, and, and tells you to walk this narrow path. He's always working on your emotions. God is keeping you from what will really make you happy. I know you're happy if all these trees is given you. But this one over here, this is going to really make you happy. Your will. He's always working on your will. God is holding you back from what you can really accomplish if given a chance. Like I was talking about that woman who had some great giftings. And, and the thing is, is there's been a lot of people who grew up to church with great giftings and they left the Lord and they, re- and they are the you know, big stars in Hollywood. It's amazing how many people you find out that they grew up in church choir, had an astounding gifts, but they weren't being praised enough in their church. And they weren't making the money in their church either. Because most of the things in church is volunteer. So, so they use their will. God is holding them back for me. And so I'm going to go accomplish if given a chance. And I bet if you take these, you know, these three things and think about your own life, Satan has come to you and is tempting you in all those areas. I know he has me. So that's a three strong Court is when you got the world, you got yourself, and you got Satan all hit you. So you got three wars going on, three front war going on. But you know what God says? He's your rear guard. So he's got you. So is desire bad? Because after all this, you're going, maybe I, I, won't, I don't want to desire anything. I can just get rid of desire. We're going to talk about that here in a few minutes. But it says, Let's read about James 4, 2, 3 says, You lust, you do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, and you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend it on your pleasure. So no, desire is not bad. The lustfulness is bad. And what does that mean? What's the difference between desire and lust? 
Well, I can have a desire and not change my happiness if I get it or not get it. We're talking about high maintenance Christians. So is there something that God has to give you to keep you happy? Is that high maintenance? What's the next thing you have to have to keep you happy? And that's that's where lust comes in. Because you can desire something, but be content and, and happy. Said, God, I want this. I really want this. But if it doesn't happen, it's not going to change my affection for you. It's not going to change my service for you. My life's neither going to be the, the better or the worse for it. Because I'm content. But I still have desire. You can be content with your church, but have a desire that more people come in. Or it could be discontent with your church and have a lust. I've got to have more people because I'm more important <laughs> than just these few people. Desire is good, unless it's envious. Unless your desire, because many times, you know, we pick up our desires. Not all our desires are for God. Delight yourself in the Lord, hear the desires of your heart, but you find out the more you delight in the Lord, the less desires that you have. And the more cleaned up that they are. There are some desires that I've gotten over, you know, a lifetime because I saw somebody else applauded and going, wow, people like them for that. And they're making money. What are the seven steps that I can do that I can have that same thing? And so you become envious and try to do what somebody else is doing, which is not what God has gifted you or called you to do. Or sometimes we just forget to ask. Or we don't forget to ask. We just don't ask because we know what the answer is going to be. (laughs) (coughs) Wrong motives and spend it on our pleasures. All our desires need to be in in, in God and, and in his ways. That means well, I'm not anything that we want. We want it to to take it and to be able to bless somebody else. If we're gifted and talented, we want it to God to use that to touch people and change their hearts. But if we're gifted and talented, and we want people to praise us because we're so gifted and talented, that's a lust. That's not a that's not a godly desire, and God's not going to honor that. Anything that we have needs to be, anything we ask from God needs to be because we want to use it to bless other people. And in the, and in the meantime, we're being blessed with it as well. So there's a thing out there called Christian Buddhism. <laughs> and of course, Buddhism is the root of suffering is desire. If you can get rid of all your desires, you get rid of all pain and suffering. That's what the whole, you know, uh, um, Buddhism, Buddhism is about. And there's a lot of Christians that way too. Is as they try to get rid of all, you know, all desire because they think desire brings that pain. Well, desire doesn't bring that pain. What happens is when you want something outside of God, it brings that pain. But let no one keep, so let's read about is Buddhism or Christian Buddhism, this kind of stuff going on. Is it biblical? It goes on, it says, let one keep in defrauding you of your prize, but delight in the self-abasement. It means you're denying yourself any pleasure, anything good in this world, which is what Buddhism does. They even spend a long time just sitting there or just standing there for hours on end, sometimes days. And even Christians do that. This past year, I think it was in the Philippines, um, 
there's some Christians that actually do crucify themselves for a couple of hours, literally go through the crucifixion and flaying themselves with whips and stuff like that because of, you know, to show that they were dying with Christ. So they defraud themselves of the prize of the joy of the Lord. <laughs> There's no way you can enjoy the Lord when you're trying to be your own savior. So they delight in self-abasement. You're not going to be careful with this kind of stuff because I'm, I'm a very controlled person. You know, and, and I can fast and do things like that. And so I can, it'd be easy for me to get caught up. Well, I fasted this many times. Well, I do this and do this. Well, what purpose is it? You can just starve yourself. There is no purpose to that. There is time for fasting. Jesus even said that. But he's also given us every seed bearing plant to eat. But people who want to make a big show of religion, which I call Christian Buddhism, is they make a big thing about how much they deny themselves of the things of this world. And Paul goes on and says, The worship of the angels and taking a stand on visions has been inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, which really can happen when you really get into fasting, <laughs> long-term fasting, and not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows and growth which is from God. And it says, If you had died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, so you died to these things. And uh, why is if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as this, do not handle, not taste, do not touch? I don't think I've ever really heard anybody preach on this kind of stuff, except when it comes to doctrines of man about not touching this, not going to movie theaters, not going anywhere they serve alcohol. You know, do not handle, do not taste, and do not touch. But this sounds awful close to what Eve and Satan was talking about. Because it, God told Adam in the garden, says, don't eat of this tree. But when Eve was questioned, she said, we're not supposed to touch of this tree. God never said that. In fact, they were put in the garden to keep the, keep the garden. So they had to touch it. They were told not to eat of it. And that's what happens. There's so much man-made religion is to tell other things you can't do. When all things were given us to enjoy. In the proper time, in the proper place, in the proper way. So a lot of people get caught up in this Christian Buddhism and trying to get rid of suffering because they think it's their desires when God has put desires in our hearts. So they're trying to get rid of a desire that God put there, which you can't get rid of. And they start doing these things. Even with people who are in drug and alcohol, I tell them, you got to, in the beginning, you may have to do what you have to. You may, don't touch, don't look, don't, you know, turn this stuff off, Whatever. But you're not going to win the war by simply staying away from this kind of stuff. Because man can't change the heart. Only God can. So go ahead and if you need to take a season or two to stay away from that kind of stuff, but unless you cry out to God himself to change your heart and change your desire and change your habits, do not handle, not taste, do not touch is not going to help. And all of these Buddhist Christians out there these very disciplined Christians out there who think they're a better Christian, a Christian 2.0, better than Paul because they don't touch this, oh, I've never done this or done this or need this. Well, if God said it's good and desirable and good for us, then why are you denying it? Just do it in the way of God says do it. And it goes on, it says, the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion, which we talked about in self-abasement, 
and severe treatment of the body, but of no value against fleshly indulgence. I've had people criticize me because I can be a reclusive and and uh, we do have a three-part war and, and I do cut out the world a lot. And, and because I do that, people say, well, you don't have the temptations as much as we do. What, you think my flesh is going to leave me alone? You think Satan's going to leave me alone when I'm out in the desert? Satan didn't leave Jesus alone. Even if you get away from the world, even if you get, go to jail and get put in a 23-hour cell, four-by-four cell, you don't think you're going to have fleshly indulgence? You just don't have a way to carry it out, but you can carry out every one of those fleshly indulgences right here in your mind. Jesus says even if a you know, man looks at a woman for, you know, in the wrong way, adultery is in his heart. So you don't have to have the means to carry it out be caught up in fleshly indulgence. You can still do it all right up here in your heart and in your mind. So we don't want to live as a Christian Buddhist and, de and deny our desires thinking that by denying my desires, if I, if I can get rid of all my desires and I get rid of all pain and suffering, that's not going to work that way. Because God has given us, us desires and, and, and told us how to, those desires can be fulfilled in Him and only through Him. So let's talk about some things. So we know desires is good, but desires can go bad if it becomes idolatry. And, and let's read the scripture here. It says, um, now these things happen, examples for us, so that we would not crave evil things. You know, it's a good thing about desire, but when desire comes over to crave, so what's the difference between desire and a craving? It means the craving is you got to have it or you're not happy until you get it. Or you don't have peace until you get it. You don't have patience until you get it. But a godly desire says, God, I'm trusting you in due time and due season that you'll make a way for me to be satisfied with this desire. But until then, I'm content. And if it never happens, I'm still content and happy. But adultery, an idol, God says, don't make idols before me, is that we can take that very desire and make it an idol. Whatever that desire is, whatever we crave, whatever we crave more than God becomes an idol. You know, in this country, money is an idol. It's also a spirit called mammon. Sports, especially in Oklahoma, <laughs> easily become an idol. You know, uh, careers, family. God created family. It is a good desire to want family, but, but even Jesus said, unless you hate your mother and father and your brother and sister and even your own life, you're not worthy to follow me. He wouldn't say actually hate them because he got on the Pharisees for not loving their parents, for not taking care of their parents. But if those people are making their family higher than God himself, that's high maintenance. So do not be idolaters. Now he's talking about the people of Egypt coming out. All they wanted was some food and water. I mean, they went three days without food and water. How many of us could do that and not complain? But they lusted those things. They didn't trust God. They didn't think God, they believed that God brought them out there to die. They didn't know God. They didn't trust God. They didn't think that God had their best interest at heart. So they, so they worshiped idols rather than God himself. 
It is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. So nor let us act immorally as some of them did. And then 23,000 fell one day. Nor let us try try the Lord. Remember, these are part of the temptations, three temptations of, of Jesus and the three temptations of Eve. Remember, Satan says, tells uh, Jesus, throw yourself off this, off this, and then everybody's going to know that you're the Son of God. Everybody's going to know that you are what you say you are. And, 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 and even the angels will keep you from, you know, dashing your feet, getting hurt. And Jesus says, thou shalt not tempt God. We can tempt God for desires. And if we press God long enough with, with our lustful desire, God will give it to us. Ask Balaam. <laughs> Balaam kept on, you know, you know, it's like going to, you know, well, should I go with them? No. And the next day, well, should I go with them? And then goes, well, just talk to them. And then maybe he was thinking to go, okay, they offer me so much money, but God wants me to hold out so I can get more money. That's probably what was going through his mind because he eventually sold Israel by teaching, teaching the people how to, how the how Israel cursed himself. How many people want to have a wife or a husband, you know, and, and God tells them to wait, pastor tells them to wait, but no, no, no. They just kept pressing, pressing, pressing. The next time they get somebody and it's not the one they wanted and they end up in a divorce. And that old marriage is up divorced because they got the wrong one. Because it's still, no matter how way you split it, it's still difficult for two to become one. So let's not try the Lord as some of them did and destroy it by the serpents, nor grumble as some of them did. God even hates grumbling. Oh Lord, I haven't had anything to eat in three days, nor things to drink in three days. Now when I first get saved, I went uh, three days about drinking anything, which wasn't very smart. It was only by the grace of God I didn't have any health issues. I was pretty good in health, but I was like 29, something like that. But I heard you can go four days and you're pretty much dead. So, and I was starting to hallucinate. So, <laughs> so I don't, so, so it's really hard to understand God to say, don't grumble. <laughs> but God, so-and-so has it. And I've been sowing for that for a long time. And I've been believing for a long time. In fact, I've been believing longer than they've been, they've been alive. And you gave it to them? But what we're saying is, I can't be happy unless God gives me that. And this is what Paul is talking about right here in Scripture. Flee from idolatry. This passage goes on here. So in 1 Corinthians 10, 6-15, No temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. And we're living in a time that people really are dealing with more of the demonic realm. But even if you're dealing with the demonic realm, there's still all these, this talk of Hollywood talk about, you know, spells and incantations and all those kind of things that, you know, people don't have a choice. They always, you always have a choice. And the best example I can give you to you is a man who had legion, a legion of demons in him. That man saw Jesus and he drug a legion of demons with him. To go see Jesus to get set free. Those demons did not want to go. <laughs> so so I can understand, you know, I can understand addiction and how how hard it can be and how difficult it can be. But for you to say there's been a spell on me, because I've dealt with people like that, that I didn't have a choice, that goes against scripture. In fact, if you didn't have a choice, then God couldn't hold you guilty anyway, because it wasn't 
a choice. But if a man can drag a legion of demons with him to get set free, certainly, certainly there's no temptation that can overtake man that's common to man. And, and people like to make Hollywood, you know, and Satan doing these things. And every, every trick that Satan can do is pretty much a parlor trick. Because if Satan can really do what they do in Hollywood, you know, they're throwing people across the room and doing this and moving their nose and all this kind of stuff. If that was possible, Satan would just push Jesus over there. But he didn't. He had to use Jesus' free will to jump. Now, the pressure of demonic activity, the thoughts coming in your mind, and the emotions can just be extreme, but we still have a choice. So let's flee from idolatry. And why I say that? Because when the demonic is hitting that hard, it's because you already have an idol in your life. Demons gather around idols because they want to be, you know, exalted and praise themselves. So when we, st when we flee from idolatry, Demons are not going to come running after us. They want us running after idols. Flee from fornication. That is the King James Version of fornication, but, um, uh, which I, uh, but the word there is, is flee in morality. I was stumbling over because I was just thinking about a, a pastor. His wife came up one day. She's going to preach that day. And she started out with a joke and she just goes, what is the the smallest sin in the Bible. I was thinking, I don't know. She goes, flee fornication. <laughs> so flee fornication, flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but then moral man sins against his own body. <laughs> okay, you're getting it now. <laughs> it hit me like that. Yeah. So, and that's, sexual sins do have a greater consequence than we can even imagine. But I'm not going to get into that. Um, and the script goes on and says, you are not your own. If we just get that through to us, we're not our own. I mean, we live in a culture. Well, my body, my choice. Not if you're a Christian, it's not. If you're a Christian, then you shouldn't be doing anything in your body unless the Lord approves of it. Because it's not your body. It's about with the price. It's his. We need to be asking I mean, there's been times I can have a sweet tooth and I like candy. And there's some, sometimes the Lord would tell me, would remind me, so this is not your body. But doing that to, to the body. <laughs> and I go, yes, Lord. So we want to flee, you know, and also in, in morality. Uh, let's go on here. It says, flee from the love of things. Was on, but godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by you know contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If you have food and covering with these, you shall be content. Now, this is the hardest one. With food and clothing, you want me to be content? Remember, if I'm defining being content, is that you don't need anything else to be happy. Well, how many of us would be happy if we didn't have a home to go to? A lot of persecuted Christians around the world don't have a home to go to today, tonight. But they're content with food and clothing. And we live in a, in, a, in a nation that we make so much more money than the rest of the world. And we, have, we can have so many choices 
that if we can stay in front of the media, if we stay in front of looking at people and lusting and, 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 and coveting all these things, there's no way we're going to be food, food and clothing because we're going to go home and want the next best thing. Paying, you know, $1,000 plus, more than that, I guess now, for an iPhone, and the next iPhone comes out, there's nothing really new about it except it's new, but you got to have it. We're being bombarded by all these things we have to have to be happy and content. But if we love God, if we desire God more than anything in this world, then we're going to be content with food and clothing. It doesn't say that we have to live this in this poverty mentality because some people try to do that. And I love to talk to people you know, in their poverty mentality, how they're coming against people that have jets or things like that. Because I lived in a garage for 12 years as a prosperity preacher. And I talked to them. And, and somebody's against prosperity who wants to live in, you know, without things. I tell them, well, how many cars do you have? Can't you sell one of those cars and send the money over to help somebody who has less? So how can you speak against poverty? In fact, Christians in America have too much stuff to be against prosperity. <laughs> We're all prosperous. Even if the person doesn't have a house, they can get two or three meals from going down the street and, and all this clothes. You cannot go hungry in Oklahoma City. I worked there for you know, many years as helping people on the street. There's lots and lots of help. So if we have food and covering with these, we should be content. We need to be content. When we start getting to the point, God, I want a bigger house. I want a bigger car. I want this jacket. I want whatever I want. I want a promotion. We need to stop and start being thankful for what we already have and be content. If we desire God more than that thing we want from him. But most people desire the thing in God's hand more than God's heart. So, so what do you need, need to be content if you're not content today? What is the thing that you're crying out to the Lord that you've got to have to make your life better? What do you need to believe God is good? That's what I'm afraid about, about, uh, you know, about America. I, I read the voice of the martyrs and have since I got saved. And when a nation turn, turns Marxist or socialist, and when there's persecution come on the Christians, you know the first ones that cave in? The Charismatics and Pentecostals. Because they have no doctrine over suffering. God is good as long as my life is good. As long as I'm getting what I, my faith has been set out to do. But do you believe God is good even when he tells you no? Even when, it, when there's delay, even when it takes you a whole lot longer to get what you want? You can be content in the meantime. You don't have to give up your desire. And yeah, the desire, it may be painful because it's a real desire. That's what fasting is about. It's putting God before your desire of food. I cannot live on food alone, Lord. You're the one that gives me life. You're the one that breathes into my lungs. You're the one that keeps my heart beating. When you fast, you're fellowship with the Lord. When you're eating, you're fellowshipping from one another. But desire to eat food is a real desire. 
So what do you need to believe God hasn't forsaken you? Because people go through that all the time too. Well, God hasn't answered you know, that prayer and it's been 10 years. And they think that God has forsaken them, has forgotten about them. Because they're so caught up in that desire, they want fulfilled, they forgot the desire and delight in the Lord. Their delight is more in getting that desire fulfilled than it is in the Lord himself. What does God have to give you to keep you happy? And whatever he gives you today, what's going to have to give you the next day and the next day and the next day because that's high maintenance. And we don't want to be high maintenance Christians. And if we don't want to be a high maintenance Christians, then we need to be content. We can still desire. I mean, if you're human, you're going to desire. You can't stop that. You can just either fulfill it yourself or try to hide your desire through all kinds of means. So flee from the love of things. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful, harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But like I've stated, God is a prosperous God. He's not as against us to have as much as we want. And, we, and a lot of people say as long as it doesn't have us. I think here in America, a lot of it does have us. There's nothing wrong with being rich. I don't, like I've said before, I don't think too many people can really handle it. They get, they get caught up in it. It takes them away from the Lord. Only two and a half tribes, they did, you know, in the Old Testament, they demanded to have their inheritance on this side of the Jordan. And then, and of course, the older tribes got upset. Oh, you just want to, you know, veg out and while we go to war and they said no no let our wives and children stay here and we'll go to war with you but that's what happens when a lot of people start making more money is they stop praying for one another they stop caring for one another because they're good they start they stop relating you know you know relating to the poor because they're not poor anymore so god is not against prosperity it is a desire of us he tells us heaven is layered in gold. And gold is a desire that God put in our heart. It wasn't the devil. But when we start desiring those things more than God, we ruin ourselves. We fall into temptation. So, and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction and for the love of money. And it talks about longing. I mean, I want more money, but I don't long over it. I don't have to have it. I'm believing God for it because I, I want to use it to help more people. And I use what I do have to help people. But, but prosperity and having more than enough is such a huge temptation to fall away from God that many of us are not ready for the temptation and God is merciful just not to give it to us. So how great is your desire to have more than enough? Scripture tells us to be content with food and clothing. Desires are good. We're going to desire more than that. Anybody who doesn't desire more than that is lying to themselves. But can we say, God, I'm happy, I'm content. I do want these things. 
You do answer our prayers. But I'm, I get more delight, more joy than being in your presence, hearing your word, sitting at your feet, meditating on your things. Do you love money and the things are, or are they just tools? Because that's one thing we're going to do. Do we want more money to build bigger barns so we can relax? I mean, Jesus gave that, that parable. So this guy had, had barns and wanted to make more money. So I'm, I'm going to make bigger barns so I can put all my stuff in there. And then I'm just going to live content and satisfied the rest of my life. And, go, and Jesus goes on to say he doesn't know that his soul was due that night. And who's going to get what he made? So are they just tools? So think about the next thing that you want to buy that you're greatly desiring. Are they just tools for fellowship with people? If you want a bigger house, why? Do you want, you want a bigger house because you want to have the biggest house on the block? Or do you want a bigger house because you want to entertain people and bless people? Or maybe even have a church home, a home church. So what are you longing for? Are you longing for God? Are you longing for his ways? Do you want to know his ways more than his miracles? The scripture says Israel knew God's miracles, but Moses knew his ways. And if you know God's ways, then you know, <laughs> then you know a few things. You know it's going to take time because God just doesn't do things because we snap our fingers. He's got to work in us. He's got to provide. He, he took five days to create the world before creating us and put us in there. So anything we're desiring, God's got to do a work in us so that when we, when we get it, we don't go awry. He's got to prepare us. He's got to prepare that place. Many people want money. But he's, going, he's got to prepare us for that place. Have you ever wandered away? Or if it wandered away from the faith? So it's not like picked up and left, God. I'm through. I got what I want. Wandered. Have you ever been walking somewhere and look up and going, where am I? Have you ever driven somewhere just deep in thought and going to end up going, where am I? You didn't mean to go there. You just wandered off. How easy is it to get caught up in a career, you know, and, 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 and wander off? It says, I'm seeking more money. I'm seeking this job here. My eyes are on God. The next thing I do, my eyes are more on that career and accomplishing things for God but no longer on God. You can even be the ministry and wander off. We've seen that happen over and over and over. Somebody starts out with a great anointing, great word, and starts building up at some place. They didn't forsake God. They didn't say, God, I don't need you and walk away. They just wandered a little off, a little further off, a little further off until they're so far off, they're wondering, 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 where am I? How did I get here? Because it's easy to wander off when our desire, we have greater desires for the things of this world and less the desire of God. So it's not intentional, but keep your eye on the ball. Have you ever heard that? Keep your eye on the ball. Keep your eye on Jesus. So flee from the love of things. Flee from these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. So I'm going to jump through here. What are you fleeing from and what are you pursuing? There's righteousness and godliness. So we're either going to pursue the desires of our heart, the things of this world, or we're going to flee from those things. And we're going to pursue righteousness. Righteousness is right standing with God and right standing with man. 
Now, if I'm going to make a deal out there, I want to make sure that I'm making a deal that the other person is coming out fine too. I, I look for win-win solutions. Years ago, JCPenney's got rid of their coupons. And they decided, you know, we want more business. So we're going to get rid of our coupons and we're going to just go dirt cheap, as cheap as we can get. Well, they lost lots and lots of money. So they reintroduced the coupons and people came back. Why? Because people seem to think, because they like to, you know, like to think that they're getting a better deal than everybody else. <laughs> so if you're buying something for $60 and I got a 10% coupon, <laughs> I'm smarter than you. I got something you didn't. That's the human nature. So righteousness is making sure that you're looking at the other guy too, which is scripture about that. So if I'm buying something for somebody, I want to make sure that they're getting a you know, good deal as well. And godliness, which is talking about holiness, faith and love, perseverance and gentleness. Uh, some translate gentleness as hum, uh, humility. Now here, perseverance which means you have to, you're going through a long, dry season or going through a hard, difficult thing. It's really difficult to be gentle at the same time you're going through a hard situation or humble. But these are the things we need to pursue in rather than the lust of things or adultery. So CTA, call to action, desire doesn't bring suffering. Desiring things more than God brings suffering. All you need is met in Christ Jesus, so let it flow out. Scripture says it all our need is men in Christ Jesus. Because when we accept his, when we have his approval, because most things we want, you know, many things that people get that they want is really they want approval. But I'm, I'm rushed for time here. It's consumer awareness. There is a war for your soul and it will be won or lost by what you delight in most. But I want to end with that. Consumer awareness. There is a war for your soul and it will be won or lost by what you delight in most. So take some time this week and find out where your attention is drawn most, what you take most, what you delight in most. As soon as you wake up in the morning, if, if your first thought is on the Lord, that's good because <laughs> that's what you're delighted in most. But if your third, first thought is on other things, then ask God for help. But let's go to God who hears our prayers, who give us the desires of our heart, delight in the Lord, who gives the desires of our heart. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord. We thank you for your word. We ask your word to do a quick work in us, Lord. You know, show us where we are wandering, Father, because we don't want to wander off, Lord, but we want to walk after you, follow after you, Lord, and walk with you in the cool of the evening, Father. We want to delight in you, Father, and the joy of the Lord must be in you, Father. So we thank you, Lord, and I bless, bless the people here, Father, and the people that will hear this on the Internet, Father, that your word do a deep work. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.